You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord Jesus, as we reflect ever more deeply upon these words that you have given to us as kingdom teaching. You've declared as part of your kingdom and granted us your salvation, and for that we are graciously grat- we are full, we are full of thankfulness to you. And we ask now, Lord, that you would bless us with not only a right understanding of your teaching, but the will and the power to live in accord with it. Let our continued reflection drive these words deep into our hearts until they are part of us, become the source of life on which we live. And as we ask in your precious and holy name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Well, this week I had a little fun with my kids on Tuesday night. We went to see the number one grossing film in the United States. Star Wars Episode 5. Released it May 21st, 1980. Believe it or not, the number one money maker this week in America. And uh, I think after 40 years, Star Wars is an established enough piece of Americana I can use it as a sermon example. So, um... In episode 5 is when we're introduced to one of the main characters, the great Jedi teacher, Yoda, who has kind of a funny way of speaking. Uh, he was uh, actually a puppet at that time before computer graphics that was voiced by Frank Oz of Muppets fame. If you heard this picture of Fazenberry, you heard Yoda. Um, so in the movie, though, he's this great teacher and he has kind of an enigmatic way of speaking. Well, it reminded me of a story by Father uh, John Benport tells. Uh, his, his family apparently has some of the same genetic structure ours does. My family were really good at memorizing movie quotes really quickly. And usually myself or my son or my daughter will come out with one of these quotes, usually voiced like the character um, who originally said it in the movie. And... Um, Father John apparently has some of this in his family because he and his brother were working on his car one afternoon. I think they were rebuilding the car brake or something. And um, his, he's good at theology. His brother is good at cars. Okay? And they were working really hard on this car all afternoon. And we've all had projects like this. After several hours of labor over the car, his brother stepped back and rubs his chin and says, Oh, I think we have to start over. Well, Father John lost it. He just was ranting and raving. His brother stopped him dead by looking and saying, Hmm, much anger, I sense. Impatience. 
I cannot teach him. And I was reminded of that because this is the foundational teaching here of what are going to be the progression of the six antitheses Jesus is going to lay out for us in his Sermon on the Mount. We've already had the primary foundation laid. You picture it like a pyramid that is building. A pyramid, you can't put the smallest part on top, on the bottom. The widest part has to be on the bottom. And Jesus has given us a wide base to build on with the blessings that he, with which he opens the sermon. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and all the rest of them. Blessed, why? Because Jesus has come to be with them in the middle of all the craziness and difficulty that characterizes life in the fallen world. Until you really believe that no matter your external condition, you are better off with Jesus than you would be without Him, no matter how good your condition would be without Him, you're not ready to hear what He's about to teach about anger. In the same way, until you've reckoned with what He teaches about anger, you're not going to be ready to learn about lust, which is the next thing He's going to teach us about. As I said to Michael before uh, worship began today, lust is a sin to which I'm only tempted with half of the human population. I can be angry at everybody. So this teaching on anger is going to be foundational. So we're going to spend a fair amount of time with it. Because Jesus says some things that at first blush seem relatively simple, but when you think about it for a second, are actually really surprising. Did you notice he lays out three forms of judgment, three types of anger for which you're going to be judged? And it seems like the smaller the infraction, the greater the judgment. It's not until you say, you fool, that you're liable to the judgment of the hell of fire. Before that, you're only liable to the council of the judgment of So we're going to spend some time with this. And today, today we're going to focus on anger because if there is anger inside of us, we cannot be taught the rest of it. So let's take a minute to think about it. Have you thought about what anger is? Most of us experience it, but we don't really think about what it is. I'll give you an example you've probably had in life that will help you zero in on what it is. Have you ever had somebody give you a jump scare? I grew up in a family with three boys. When we weren't fighting, we were trying to put one over on each other. And our favorite thing to do was really scare the other two. And occasionally we got each other good. One time I even got my brother to pass out. That's another story. But what's your reaction when someone really scares you? The first reaction, yes, fear. <gasps> and as soon as you know it's not a serious threat, what's your next reaction? What are you doing? I could have had a heart attack. You shift immediately from fear to anger. Fear and anger are part of our autonomic response. It's part of the way God has wired us up. We respond to a threat or a perceived threat with fear or anger. This gets our adrenaline going, gives us extra strength, and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, there's a word. It's gone. Um, it gives us strength and it gives us the ability to last longer in a battle. Endurance. Thank you. That's what we have 
by dint of the anger. Unfortunately, the anger also tends to make us regard everything around us as a threat and reduces our capacity to reason. Okay? Because you don't want to reason in a fight, you just want to survive. Now, is this the kind of anger to which Jesus is calling us to resist? Kind of Buddha-like I don't think so. Not only because it's part of the way God has wired us up, it's part of his good design, he did declare us good, made in his own image, but also because we see divine wrath in the scriptures, and Jesus would be falling afoul of his own teaching when towards the end of the gospel, he's going to drive out the money changers from the temple. But you can tell the kind of anger that is ordinary. That's the word that theology and theologians use. Um, meaning it's the right kind of anger. Because there's two things to characterize it. First of all, it's proportion. It's in proportion to the danger itself. Okay? You should get less angry at someone who cuts you off in traffic than someone who pulls a gun. So it's proportional to the stimulus involved. Second of all, it's temporary. When the stimulus is gone, the anger is gone. The same Jesus who was angry enough to create a whip out of the cords that, for the, for the um, curtains in the temple to drive the money changers out would, at the end of that week, as they're nailing him to the cross, say, Father, forgive them for the people what they're doing. He was angrier at the abuse of God's house than he was at the abuse of his own body. So it's proportional and it's temporary. That is a, an appropriate anger response, and we're wired for it. There's good reasons to do it. But what Jesus, what Jesus is speaking against here is anger as a sustained frame of mind. A settled anger, which is always kind of bubbling and brewing inside of us, ready to jump out and find a target. Always ready to justify itself. Because the minute I find it, it's right for me to be angry. See, there's the proof! that I deserve to be angry all the time and you'll always find the evidence you need to justify your anger. This kind of anger is soul-destroying. And it starts with you. If, if we sustain or, or even try to cultivate that level of anger in our lives, it will destroy us. It's the kind of anger that is captured by them. You've probably seen the bumper sticker if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. To be sure, there are genuine injustices in the world for us to which we need to pay attention and which we should try to address. But we should forever be outraged looking for a reason to justify our outrage. When we have that kind of low level of anger bubbling and brewing inside of us all the time, The first person it hurts is us. The, the studies are, are absolutely clear on this. The physiological studies of what low-level anger sustained will do to your health is horrible. We all know about hypertension. But there's a whole battery of things, a whole battery of illnesses and ailments that we are more prone to get and to which we are unlikely, will always be likely to fall into eventually if we sustain anger in our lives. Not least of which is a crushing kind of depression, because if you're always like this your whole life, fighting the world, it's pretty hard not to be depressed by the world. 
and I watched this destroy two people very close to me whom I loved. One person who was a young lady I had in youth ministry 20 years ago in I saw the anger even warned her about it during a really deep conversation at a lock-in one night. This anger that was in her always looking for a target. She went off to college and people saw that as an opportunity to use that anger to enlist her in their, their cause. And once she was in that cause, she would forever see the world a certain way that kept her angry. And I found out just a few years ago that that eventually ended in her suicide. And I watched my mom do it too. I watched my mom destroy herself by her own anger at the injustice she perceived against herself and against the world. That it was just became this cultivated hate and she destroyed herself with her alcoholism because of it. As I filled a 30-gallon drum with empty bottles when we got the news that after her heart attack, I couldn't help but think with every bottle I threw away and I looked at the horrible state of disrepair in her house. So this is what a soul ravaged by anger looks like. That is the kind of anger Jesus is warning us against here. And here's the second person who hurts everyone around you. You don't even have to act on your anger for the people around you to be hurt by it. Have you ever been in a social situation with somebody who knows is angry at you? Have you felt like you could do anything right? Or did you feel like they were just watching for you to make the least little mistakes so they can pounce on you and bring the conflict out into the open? Anger destroys relationships and destroys community. This is exactly what our psalm speaks to today. How wonderful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Why? Why is that the place where there is life forevermore? Because we're social creatures, folks. We're not designed to go it alone. A person who is socially isolated is someone who either has an emotional or psychological illness or they are headed towards them. That's why they put prisoners in solitary confinement. To undermine their personality and their psychology. We're meant to be in networks of relationships and sustaining a level of anger inside ourselves will destroy the relationships we have with people and it acts as a stimulus for them as well. Because you know, anger is one of the very few emotions that always gets the same reaction from the other person. Someone comes at you in anger or gives you a, gives you like a dirty look, you usually do this mentally. You're either being defensive or likely you're going to go, you're thinking to yourself, do I hit first or second? Do I block or do I hit first? What do I do? Anger in ourselves always inspires anger in the other person, which is why in today's teaching, Jesus says, when your brother is angry with you, when you know someone else is angry with you, not when you're angry with them, but when they're angry with you, you go and make it right before you come to worship. Why? Because, first of all, the anger is an occasion for your brother's sin. It's the opportunity for them to fall into sin. And here's the reality. It's likely going to inspire anger in you too, and then that's going to become the opportunity for peace. This helps preserve community in which we find our health and our wellness. Even as the people of God, God has from the Old Testament forward created a people from the promise to Abraham. So the promise was made to him personally, the promise was to create a people which would be a blessing to the world. 
The beloved community needs to maintain its unity by dealing with its anger. This is how we live as kingdom people. Now, as we struggle to do that, and it is a struggle, but to be honest with you, this is going to be difficult. This is the foundational piece of what it's tough. If you thought learning to ride a bike was hard, this is going to be hard. <laughs> as we struggle with it, we're going to get help. And that help comes from the person of Jesus who has come to us in the first place. Because if, if I'm maintaining that anger, I'm not going to be able to obey the commandments. He gave you a small catechism. And his instructions on the Eighth Commandment, which is the commandment against giving false testimony against your neighbor, he gives this. He says, what does it mean to not give false testimony against your neighbor? With the rights, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. If you're angry with someone, do you really think you're going to have the capacity to defend somebody, speak well of them, or explain their every action in the kindest way? Our anger needs to be dealt with. I'm going to share with you um, an episode from my own spiritual life, of which I'm profoundly to illustrate this case. I was in a very difficult work environment. I knew that there were people trying to hack me at the ankles. And because of that, I felt like any little thing I did wrong was going to be an opportunity for criticism. So I was constantly freaking out. I wasn't even aware I was angry. The truth is I was angry. Because I felt the situation was unjust and I couldn't speak to it. But I let it simmer. I let it, I let it be dealt with there. I didn't follow these instructions in our gospel meeting today. And it kept building up and building up. Well, one Saturday night, about 11 p.m. when a pastor should be going to bed because he has to preach the next morning. I was busy filling out paperwork that I felt I would be criticized for at the back door of the church if I didn't get it done by noon. I had a wonderful dog. And I say I had her because although she loved the whole family, she really loved me. She, I, she was a man's dog for whatever reason. Um, the habit of her life was to come and curl up at my feet while I worked. But she got very sick. She had liver cancer, and um, at her age, there was no point in taking any steps. We were just trying to ease her along the end of her journey. And she couldn't get up and walk across the floor very easily anymore. It was going just to be near with what she wanted. And as I was busy frantically typing and trying to put this thing together, um, she sat about 10 foot away from me next to the sofa, going, Ooh. About every three or four minutes, there's this little pointed, Ooh. She just wanted me to sit there. But remember what I said about adrenaline? Reducing your reasoning capacity? 
All I could focus on that minute was my perceived combatants. It never occurred to me I could get my laptop computer and sit on the floor and throw it on the court. And somewhere around the fifth or sixth wolf, I turned around and shouted at the poor sick dog, I can't sit with you right now. And anger always inspires anger in its target. I watched her flare. But she was too sick to get up and walk away. So she just looked at me with that deep disappointment in her eyes and put her head down between her paws. And I thought to myself, how did I get to this place? And how do I stop it, Lord? Because I don't ever want to do the people I love, I just did with the dog I love. Fortunately, I had a few more weeks with her that I could sit with her and make it right. But when we act out of our anger, we can't take our actions back. But we can repent. When we repent, we find that our Lord Jesus is ready to hand forgive. And not just to forgive, but to empower us, to help us. In my research for this sermon series, I've been reading an extraordinary number of books, and an extraordinarily wide range of books, that focus on these teachings of Jesus over the centuries. Macarius of the Mountain, in the spiritual classic of Philokalia, says this about anger. He says, if you find yourself hating your fellow men and resisting this hatred, and you see that it grows weak and withdrawn, do not rejoice in your heart, for this withdrawal is a trick of the evil spirits. They are preparing a second attack worse than the first. They have left their troops behind the city and ordered them to remain there. If you go out to attack them, they will flee before you in weakness, but if your heart is then elated, because you have driven them away and you leave the city. Some of them will attack you from the rear, while the rest will stand their ground in front of you. And your wretched soul will be caught between them with no means of escape. The city is prayer. Resistance is rebuttal through Jesus Christ. In our day, we would probably say rebuke. We can rebuke our anger in the name of Jesus Christ. We can call on Jesus who is right here with us through his indwelling spirit. We can call on his power to fight against our own anger and have resources that are beyond our own to deal with it. That's what he wants us to do. We've heard it said that Christians need to love the sinner and hate the sin. You can't do it in reverse. You can't honestly ask God to increase your hatred of someone else. If you get a positive response, I guarantee you it's not Jesus who's listening to your prayer. We can hate sin, death, and the devil proportionately to their evil they do us, but we can't hate people who are under their thumb. We can learn from Jesus how to rebuke the spirits that inspire anger in us. And we can trust his power to help us in time of need. This is what we need to do to keep growing to his teaching. We 
join me for a word. Gracious Lord, there is so much injustice in us and around us that anger is a natural response to it. But Lord, if you look around us and think you can address the evil in the world without first addressing that which is in us, we are fools. You have told us that we are blessed because you come to us in the middle of our depravity. While we were yet sinners, you have been given to die for us. Help us, Lord, now to receive that good news, to live into it, to live a life worthy of the calling to which you called us through that gospel. Help us to learn to deal with our anger. Help us to learn to set it aside through your power. Remind us to lean back into you. To call upon your power. To rebuke the anger in your name. That we may learn to love what you love. Hate only what you hate, which is never those around us for which you die. This we ask in your precious and holy name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Sleeping my presence, my life